Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. So today, the last in this series, part seven, and I've been studying Luke's gospel, and a story in chapter 10 just moved me, and I thought to myself, I said, I don't want to be like the guy in this word of God, the synagogue ruler. So I'm going to read in Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 10, on a Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. Well, let me stop right there. Jesus went into a synagogue, and he went in to teach. First of all, a synagogue was like a church. Synagogues were everywhere. And what's he doing? The Bible says he's teaching, and where is he? And and you got to ask yourself the question, well, why is he teaching? Where was he trained to teach? See, in synagogue, synagogues had synagogue rulers like a local pastor, and the synagogue ruler, and this is kind of important, were trained by the very legalistic Pharisees, and the synagogue rulers or pastors were very, very legalistic guys. And so here comes this untrained Nazarene into his synagogue. And he kind of sits down right there in a chair. He opens the Old Testament scriptures, and there's a bunch of people sitting in a semicircle around him. And maybe the synagogue ruler walks up to him, taps him on the shoulder, and says, Who are you? He says, Oh, I'm Jesus from Nazareth. From Nazareth? Not from Jerusalem, one of the great centers of learning. What do you do? Oh, he said, he said, he said Who's your dad? My dad's Joseph. <laughs> do I know Joseph? Do I know him? Do I know him? I, was he a rabbi? No, he's a carpenter. He says, I'm pretty good at a saw and a hammer. <laughs> and you're teaching the scriptures? I mean, that's how they looked at this whole thing. He went onto their turf with the authority of a qualified teacher. And it wasn't just his wisdom, his knowledge of the scriptures that people marveled at. Man, it was his understanding of scripture. His understanding, you might say Jesus went into their dark world. He went into their dark world with, with the light of God's truth. He was a light in a dark place. So there he is sitting in a chair. He's teaching the people. People are sitting in a semicircle around him, listening to him. And the synagogue ruler is probably saying to himself, you're on my turf. What are you doing here? And in this half circle of people, Jesus spots a woman. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Here's how I picture this lady. I picture her as a younger lady. She was crippled. She was kind of bent over like this. She looked at a lot of floors. If she ever wanted to raise her head and look at people, she'd have to kind of strain her neck and look up like that. And I read this, and I wondered how this lady felt about herself. I thought about her self-image, and I wondered, did she want to be beautiful? Did she need somebody to tell her, you're not a reject, or you're not a problem that most people would like to go wish went away? but you're a beautiful and a valuable human being. That's what I thought about. See, this lady with special needs, if there ever were special needs, and maybe one reason I relate to this story so much is because we had Shelby, a special needs kid for 15 years, and she was beautiful and she was valuable, and people like that need to know that. You and I need to know that. 
And so this lady's bent over and crippled because a demon spirit did that to her. That's verse 11. And she'd been that way for 18 years. And one thing we always have to know, folks, is this. Demons just can't attack you at will. Demons have to ask God's permission to attack you, to do anything to you. Someone had to get way back when, 18 years ago, a demon had to go to God the Father and say, I want to attack that person or I want to do this to that person. And God the Father had to say yes and God the Father had to put limits on it. Demons are not loose cannons. They cannot attack you at will. And I see Jesus with all kinds of compassion on his face for this lady. I see his eyes. His eyes are very tender. His body language says, I care about you. And then he says, you're free. He says, you're free from this 18-year bondage. He says, I set you free. This is verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and she praised God. For the first time in 18 years, this lady straightens up. There's no pain. She looks at people eye to eye, face to face. She's not looking at floors anymore, and she prays God. And now the synagogue ruler enters this picture. He's been kind of sitting in the background, the pastor, you might say, watching all this stuff, and now he steps forward. This is verse 14 of Luke 13. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. I like that word, indignant. I mean, this guy is, is, is peeved. He's peeved. Listen to what he says. Indignant because Jesus Christ had healed this lady on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler addressed the people, and he said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And I read that, and I'm feeling something. I'm kind of feeling... And I, think, I know it's righteous anger. I'm feeling righteous anger. I mean, you could heal this lady any other day of the week. We have our Sabbath laws, and this is work. You're working on the Sabbath, Jesus of Nazareth. And maybe he went back into a closet and pulled out a big scroll and took the scroll and took it to Jesus and unrolled it and said, see, there's our law. You're working on the Sabbath, and you just broke our law. And what you got to know is man never, man wrote that law, some rabbi. God never wrote that law. God never said you can't be merciful on the Sabbath day. And so this guy was quite upset. And then Jesus gets a little bit upset. And this is righteous being upset or righteous anger, you might say. The Lord answered in verse 15. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. I mean, there's emotion there, man. You hypocrites. He says, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? You hypocrites. I mean, this woman is a daughter of Abraham. She's Jewish. Satan, which means one of his demons, has kept this lady bound for 18, and I say long years. And you begrudge her being freed from this condition, and you feel more for your ox or your donkey than you do for this woman. And nobody had ever challenged a synagogue leader that way. Nobody ever spoken to him like that. And now you look at the reaction of the people in verse 17. Man, they liked it. When he said this, his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Now maybe you can understand when I read a piece of, you know, part of Scripture and I say, what a God we have. You know, this word of God is about compassion. I got to tell you, folks, I struggle to be compassionate. I just look at the Bible's definition of love. 1 John 4.10, the NIV does a tremendous job with this. 1 John 4.10, this is love, colon. Not that we love God, but that what? He loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Man, he saw me from heaven. 
and he identified with me. You know what Jesus saw from heaven? He saw me in all my futile attempts, spinning my wheels, trying so, so hard to do enough to get God to like me, see, and take me to heaven. He saw all that stuff. And Jesus knew the only way, the only way you can be in the Father's favor, somebody has to deal with your sin. And he identified with that. And so he came. And he says, Dennis Rasper, you put your own name in there. You can't keep the law perfectly. And the law demands that you obey it perfectly. And you stand convicted. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to earth. And I'm going to represent you. And in your place, I am going to live that perfect life that you could never do. And then I'm going to give my life for you and die the death that you should die. He identified with me. See, that's, that's, that's getting that compassion, see. And I'll make you acceptable for eternal life, I'll tell you. And he came, and there's a passage in Hebrews 15 that'll just, it should move you. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. We don't have a God in heaven, a high priest, mediating for us who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just like we are, yet without sin. And you got this woman bent over, crippled for 18 years. Jesus sees her, stops his teaching, says, come here, please come forward. I mean, this almost brings me to tears because that's what I want to be. And he feels for that lady, and he's touched by her infirmity. It makes me want to say, what a God we have, man. Then I ask myself, how do, I, how do we move toward that kind of compassion? Well, you never have the compassion of Jesus. I could never attain to that. But I can move toward compassion. The first thing I have to do is make people a priority. That's number one for you and me, man. People have to be a priority. That's the first step. There's two steps. I just get two biblical steps. Probably there's 102 in, in moving toward compassion. Anyway, Jesus looked forward to a few days with um, his family, too. I look forward to those days, and Jesus looked forward to those few days with his family and disciples. And I was thinking about that, and man, my mind went to John chapter 6 because crowds were always following Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 2, man. And a great crowd of people followed him. Well, what else is new? Everybody, there were always great crowds of people following Jesus. And so he needed some rest and relaxation with his family. In verse 3 of John 6, as he went up to a mountainside just to get away a little bit, and he sat down with his disciples. And then you look at verse 5, when Jesus looked up, guess what? <laughs> He's away for a little bit of R&R. &R. He looks up, what does he see? A great crowd coming toward him. And so he said to his disciple, Philip, where shall we buy enough bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test Philip because he already had in mind what he was going to do. What just happened? See, he put his own personal need for rest on hold. So he did. He put his own personal need for rest on hold because he identified. He identified with these people and their needs, see? They came to hear me, he said. They're going to need food. Why did he identify? Because people were a priority to Jesus. In this word of God today, Luke 13, the synagogue ruler says, there's seven days in a week. You could heal her any day. Why the Sabbath? We have our rules. And Jesus says, you could lead an ox or a donkey to water on the Sabbath, and you do that. And this is a person with feelings and a soul, and hurts, and needs, and hopes, and dreams, and all that stuff. 
And he's saying, your ox or your donkey. And he's angry now. It's righteous anger. He, yeah, yeah I'm, kind of, I'm interpreting what he's saying. He's saying, your ox or your donkey isn't made. You know how many people put their animals before people? I thought about that. I'm not saying it's wrong to take care of your animals, but some of us show more attention and affection to animals before people. And this is a person made in the image of God. Making people a priority has to be a life principle. Again, making people a priority has to be a life principle. It's a principle with God. It has to be a principle with you and me. What touches me is this, that Jesus gave this lady some real important stuff. I mean, this stuff that's so important to you and me and every person alive. This lady felt very not beautiful. Or maybe she felt like a cancer on the flesh of humanity. Maybe someday she wished she would die. And Jesus singled her out of a crowd. And he gave her dignity. And he made that bent over lady feel beautiful. And he made her feel valuable. And that's what I want to do with my life. I really want to take people who don't feel beautiful and don't feel valuable. And they're kind of bent over and crippled. Maybe not physically, but in a lot of ways and make them feel valuable and beautiful and worthwhile. And I don't always do that, man. I don't always make people feel that way. I fail at it. You fail at it. But it has to be a life principle with us because the people in our lives are more important than any part of our lives. Do you identify with people? You've got to ask yourself this question. Do you seek to make the people in your life feel important and worthwhile, and beautiful, and valuable. And you know, do that more than anything else, man. We need to give them our time. For most of us, time is more valuable than money. It's the most valuable thing I have, I'll tell you. And to give somebody our time, you know what that says? When you give a person your time, it says, you're important to me. You're valuable to me. What's going on in your life is, is more important than what's going on in my life. That is a biggie, folks. That is a biggie. When you give somebody your time, you're saying, what's going on in your life Right now is more important than what's going on in my life. And that speaks volumes to people, man. That sends a message to people. And you know where that begins? You know where it begins? It begins in your home. I'm serious. Do you give time to that primary relationship between mom and dad, between husband and wife? You give the time to the kids because kids demand it. But do you two guys take time for yourselves, husband and wife? Well, let me ask this. Do you listen to the people in your life? And I mean, and really try and shut other stuff out. They speak to you and you should really, and I, man, I, I don't do all this. Come on. But I need to work at this. Do you shut all this other stuff out and really focus on those people? Eye contact, give them your attention and try and blot everything else out of your mind. That's very important. Do you hear the tone of their voice? I got to tell you, that's why I hate email. I really hate, no, I don't hate it. But I strongly dislike email. I strongly dislike it because people send you an email and you can't see the pain on their face. You can't see the joy on their face. You can't hear the inflection in their voice and you can't react to an email. So I got a rule with my life, man. I won't email anybody when I can call them. Do you listen to people's views? I mean, people have opinions and views and they think through these things. And they may be wrong, and you may have to challenge them, and I do that a lot because obviously I'm always right. But you know, when you listen to people's opinions, you value them because they've thought through these things and worked through these things, and these are deep philosophies of life and worldviews, see? And you got to let them talk, and then you challenge them, 
and you give the biblical perspective, I've done that so many times, but when you allow a person to express his or her opinion, you're adding value to that person's life, see, and they will let you talk to them again. And here's something that is very, very important. You got to remember things about people. You got to ask them, how's this going? You have to remember these things. I mean, you know, you know, the message it sends when you remember something going on in a person's life and you can relate to that little detail of their life. You know what that says? It says that little detail, you know, it's on your mind. It's on your heart. It's important to you. They're important to you. Let me ask you, aren't you moved when somebody asks you about some little deal going on in your life? And they remember that little thing. Now, here's a principle, and this is kind of important because it's going to bless you and bless people. If you pray about those things, and I'll tell you what I do with my life, and I learned this, I'll tell you where I learned it. But if you pray about those things that are going on in people's lives, you tend to remember them. You tend to remember them. One of the greatest devotional books is this by a guy named Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. And he wrote this, and I'll never forget this. He wrote, he wrote, God brings people into your life. Hear me now, so you can pray for them. I'm going to encourage you to practice this. In your prayer time, review a day. Go over a day. Go over every person that came into your life, whether it's on the phone, whether it's in person, whatever it is. Go over every person that came into your life because God brought that person into your life. And maybe do this the next morning. Don't do it in the evening because you're probably too tired. But do it the next morning when your mind is fresh and ask yourself, what can I pray about in this person's life? And if you can't think of one specific thing, just pray for them and say, God, accomplish your good purpose in that person's life because they're in your life for a reason. You got to know this now. This is so true. They're in your life for a reason, and God works through prayer. And one reason he brings them into your life and my life is so that you can pray for them so he can accomplish his purpose in their lives. It's going to take a little time to review a day. But i got to tell you something. God has a plan for every one of his kids. He's got a good plan for every one of his children. And here's something you all know. We're all in process. We're not there. We are in process of becoming what God wants us to become. And you think about the dignity in this. I really get a lot of personal satisfaction out of this when I pray for people like that because I know God's doing something. See, I mean, you are part of the process. God is accomplishing something in their lives. He's moving them a direction. He's working the bugs out. And you know what? He's using you because he responds to prayer and you're part of the process. You and me are part of God's plan to work what God wants to happen in their lives. And when I pray for those people and what's happening in their lives, I can ask them about it and say, how's this going? And that blesses them. And you don't know how that blesses people. You know what else that does? That earns you and me a right to speak into their lives. So you got to make people a priority. This, this bent over nobody felt like somebody because of Jesus Christ. I mean, pray about this, man. Let's, let this be a driving principle in your life. People, pe make people your priority. Make them feel valuable. Make them feel important. Make them feel beautiful. Compliment them. Notice them. Don't make them walk up to you. You walk up to them. Pick them out of a crowd. Give them a hug. It's what Jesus did. And I got to tell you, man, he is the busiest guy on the face of this earth, man. He was the busiest guy. In this sense, he had more responsibility. He had, this, he, he had the responsibility of the whole world on his shoulders. Salvation of the whole world. Whoever had more responsibility. And he did that. He gave people himself as time as everything. I think about that and I say, man, what a God we have. Back to Luke 13. I look at verse 14. Look at this synagogue ruler. 
this pastor, you might say, the synagogue, indignant because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue ruler said to the people, there, there are six days for you to work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. This guy was angry. He was seething inside. I read this, and like I said, I had a reaction here because I don't want to be like this guy. I mean, this guy was desensitized. He was totally desensitized. I never want to be desensitized. That means lose my sensitivity like the synagogue ruler. See, I don't want to become so objective and so clinical that I don't feel anything for people, that people just become a job that's easy, that's easy, or a thing, you know, an animate object or something like that, but a thing. And again, that's something, I, you know, listen, that is a gift you have to pray about every day. I said, God, don't. Let me become desensitized. See, real compassion is a work of God, the Holy Spirit, on your heart. And I thought about Ephesians chapter 4.32 because this is where we need to be. This is where I want to be. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate. I like the New King James there. The NIV says, be kind and compassionate. But the, the New King James says, be kind and tenderhearted. It's the way they translate the same Greek word. I love that translation. Be kind and be tenderhearted to one another. So let me ask you, do you have a tender heart? You gotta evaluate yourself. Do you have a tender heart? First principle of being compassionate is 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 make people a priority. But the second the second principle of compassion is you gotta work at it. You need to develop it. I mean, that synagogue ruler is so irate at what Jesus did. He said, he said, there's, 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 there's. He can't even spit it out of his mouth. He said, there's seven days in a week. Why do you have to do this today? See. And when you're sensitive, you know, you read people's feelings, man. You kind of see beyond their words and you get into their heart. You got to practice that. You got to get beyond the words into the heart. And then you know when to talk and when not to talk. You know when to offer advice and just keep it to yourself. Not because you don't have something to tell them. I always have something to tell them. And I think it's right because from the word of God, it's probably going to bless them. But you don't always say it. Part of sensitivity is knowing the right moment, and that doesn't come overnight. Compassion or sensitivity just doesn't happen. You got to pray about that, man. You need to practice it. Prayer, practice, prayer, practice. You mean reliving a day. Reliving a day. I do that. You got to relive a day and confess it before God when you are insensitive. How do you become sensitive? What I just said, you become sensitive. This is so important when you understand that God himself brings people into your life to be part of his process to work his good in that person. When you understand that you are being used of God, you can kind of shut your mouth and listen and focus on those people and give them your undivided attention. That's sensitivity. Second way you become sensitive, and this is so unlike the synagogue ruler, just ask yourself a question. Put yourself in their position and say, what if that were me? Never ask, what if that were me? Seriously. I mean, I mean, you identify to that extent. I mean, folks, this is the essence of the gospel. Because Jesus looked at me and you and he said, what if that were me? All those people going around, batting their heads against the wall, trying to, trying to do enough to make us like him, Father, you know, and so on. And so he said, what if that were me? And John 1.14 says, John 1.14, this is the bottom line of it. And he, the word became flesh. He became a man and dwelt among us. There is a beautiful passage in Hebrews 5. It says, this is Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, listen, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. 
to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Loud cries in tears. Why should the God of heaven have to come down to this earth and live with that and cry out loud cries in tears. You know, that's, that's, that, 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 that's evidence that this man feels deeply and he, he has such compassion and he accepted that. He accepted that loud cries and tears. He dwelt among us. Man, ever just cry out to him, Lord, you know? You know, this is a great prayer. Lord, you know, you lived it. You cloud cries and tears. You dwelt among us. Just say, help. You don't tell him how to help. You just say, help. It's a great prayer. So sometimes we can be very oblivious to people and just ask yourself, what if that were me? You know, it's easy to get desensitized when people aren't your priority. It's it's easy to get desensitized when people are just a job. It's easy to get desensitized when you don't see the value God puts upon them. And it's easy to get desensitized when you watch a lot of violence on TV. And all I'm saying is so easy to watch violence and excuse it and say, well, there's no nudity and there's no garbage talk. But you know what? All that contributes to desensitizing us. I want to end this message in the series by looking at one Bible passage, 1 John 4, 12. This is your memory for today. No one has ever seen God, but his love is worked out or completed or made complete or reflected. That's the one I like. No one has ever seen God, but his love is made complete or reflected. His love is reflected in us. People have never seen the Father. They've never seen the Lord Jesus Christ. But they see you and they see me. And we reflect his love. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m., Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.